0: If we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled we will be saved by his life. If he didn't withhold his son when we were sinners, will he not also freely give us all things through faith in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ? Paul was reminding the people in the little church at Philippi of that wonderful fact when he wrote in the book of Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19, my God will supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. That's a wonderful verse, isn't it? How many of you know that verse, Philippians four 19? Let's say it together. Philippians 4, 19. My God will supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. In Paul's day, there were two very definite problems in the church or in the whole community in those days, and as he was preaching the gospel, he would run into these problems over and over again. Some places where he went, the problem was more apparent through the religious Jews, and the religious Jews believed in God. In fact, they believed in one God, but the problem was that the religious Jews did not believe in the Trinity. They didn't believe that God had a son and that the Holy Spirit came to indwell us. To impart new life to us. So that was a problem that needed to be countered where Paul went to preach the gospel. But there was another problem also in that many times he would meet the antagonism of the polytheistic pagans. And they would say, Yes, surely we believe in God. But if you'd ask them, well, Who is your God? different people would give you different answers. For they had different gods for different seasons, they had different gods for different needs, they they had gods all over the place. In fact, in Athens, in fact, they had left one out, they said, to the unknown god, uh, because they just didn't want to offend any of these gods, who, by the way, were very easy to be offended. But the Apostle Paul wrote to the people in Corinth, in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 4, and he said, we have a wonderful new covenant. But if our gospel, our good news about this new covenant, this new promise that God has entered to do with, this, with us, if our good news is hidden, it is hidden to those who are perishing, in whom, and get this, the God of this world has blinded their eyes, lest the glorious light of the gospel should shine in unto them and they would be saved. Now who did he mean when he said the God of this world? Did he mean our God? Who did he mean, the God of this world? Satan. That's exactly it. And then when Paul wrote to the Philippians, here in this little book that we're going to be studying some from this morning, in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, he spoke of people who were enemies of the cross of Christ, and he said, their God is their belly. And what did he mean by that? He meant the most important thing in life to them was to fulfill their own appetites their own desires, their own fleshly lusts. And he said they have set their minds on earthly things. The things that really matter matter to them are the things of time, the things you can put your hands on, the things you can grab a hold of. Now, many think that this problem of false gods is not a problem in America today. And so uh, they kind of overlook some of these passages that Paul wrote. But if you take your dictionary when you go home this afternoon, Old Webster and your collegiate dictionary, and you'd turn to that little word God, you'd find that there are four different choices that you could have in regard to God. The first choice would be this. Any of various beings cons- uh, considered as supernatural, having special powers. Any of various beings uh, having Considered to have supernatural powers, but if that doesn't satisfy, there's a second definition, and the second defi- definition is this: an image worshipped as God, something that people set up and they say, "Well, this is my God," and and they choose to worship that image. But there's a third one. Now, the third one is this: a person. Now get this: a person or a thing that is deified or excessively honored. admired so a God doesn't have to be a person it can just be an object it can be another person and then finally we get down to a fourth definition where they change the small G to a large G and they say God in monotheism the creator of man now when Paul wrote to these people at Philippi he said in that fourth verse my God. (laughs) I love the way he put it. He didn't just say, God will supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God was personal to the Apostle Paul. He could never get away from that experience that he had on the road to Damascus when the Lord Jesus revealed himself to him as being the very God of God. And in that moment, the Apostle Saul of Tarsus was born anew. He was changed. He was transformed. And he never could get away from that thing that had taken place on the road to Damascus when God, that he hadn't even known in reality, became his personal God. And I wonder today, dear friend, can you honestly look back to that time in your life when you entered into a new relationship with the living God And that God became your personal God. Oh, that's a very important thing. That we have not only a natural birthday, we have a spiritual birthday as well. And Paul wrote, my God. And when he wrote, my God, the word that he used was the word theos. It's a Greek word. It's the word that the Greek people had used always to describe the one that they worshipped, or the ones that they worshipped as being God, Theos. But then the Jews came along and, and, and they used that word Theos to translate different words that were used in the Old Testament. For instance, Theos could be Elohim, or Theos could be Jehovah, Elohim the creator God, Elohim the one who entered into covenant promises with his creation and he's faithful because he's going to fulfill those promises has fulfilled many of them but he's also Jehovah Jehovah the one who is not only self-sufficient he doesn't need anything outside of himself but he's all-sufficient he is sufficient for every need that you'll ever experience in your life And this Elohim Jehovah is the one that the Apostle Paul spoke of and he said that's my God, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who has entered into personal relationship with me and I've entered into a personal relationship with him through the promises that he has made available to me. And he is the one who is sufficient for every need that I will ever experience in this life or, for that matter, in all eternity. Now understand something, Christianity didn't destroy polytheism by any means, but it certainly denounced polytheism, that those gods are no gods at all. They're not really God. And Paul has clarified a little bit here in the book of Philippians just who this God is when he says, my God will supply all of your need. He said in the first chapter, for instance, and verse 6 of Philippians, being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ." And he said, My God is the one who you people in this little church here in Philippi have accepted as your God. And this God is the one who has started a good work in you that is going to continue through the endless ages of eternity. My God has begun a good work in you. And again this morning, I just want to ask you the question, when did God begin his work of grace in your life? When was the day that you were born into the family of God and that you trusted Jesus Christ and Elohim, Jehovah, the all-sufficient one, became your personal God, the most important person in your life? But in the second chapter, Paul clarifies this a little bit more fully when he says in verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to do and to will of his good pleasure. Now in that sixth verse of the first chapter, he shows that God is personal. God starts a work in each one of those who are his true children. But in the second chapter, he says that this God is a powerful God. That he doesn't just start something, but he continues that work. It is God that is at, at work in you today. And I wonder... What is God doing in your life today? What is God accomplishing in your life and through your life that is going to count for all eternity? Because you see, this personal God is a powerful God. And he speaks a little bit more fully about this personal powerful God in the third chapter. And in the third chapter, in verse 14, he says this, I press toward the goal for the prize of the voice that is calling from the heights the one that is calling me from the the very heights of heaven, I press forward to this call of God in Christ Jesus. And those of us who have been saved sense that it was not just a call to salvation, but it is an ongoing call to sanctification in our lives. And God continues to call us, lifting us above the things of this world of time and sense and showing us the things that are of eternal significance. And God is calling us, calling us into the realization, the wonderful provision that he has made for us in the person of Christ. And that's why in the fourth chapter in verse 19, he says of this personal, powerful, purposeful God who has a goal for us to be with him for all eternity. He said, it is he who is working in you, causing you to will and to do of his good purpose. It is he who has provided the peace that passes understanding in verse 7 of the fourth chapter. The peace of God which passeth all understanding will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. And there's something that God can do in each one of your lives today that no one or nothing else can ever do. The Bible says, The wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest. Its waters cast up my... There's no peace, saith my God to the wicked. But Jesus Christ came and on the cross... He made peace for us through the offering of his blood, the shedding of his blood. And now God says to us through the Apostle Paul here, it is he who provides this peace that is passes under, the peace of God which passes understanding guards your hearts and minds as we rest in the finished work of Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, that's just the first part. (laughs) My God, my Elohim, the all-powerful one, the one who has made marvelous promises for time and eternity and the one who is faithfully fulfilling those promises because he is sufficient for every need in my life. My God, Paul says, will supply. And that word supply is not just give you enough to get by. I remember when Diane and I were first married and we weren't rich like we are now. And <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> and and I used to drive up to the gas station and then, you know, they had attendants that went out. They put the gas in your tank for you. Now, things have improved a great deal. But uh, I would drive in and, and I'd say, oh, give me a dollar's worth. Can you believe that? Give me a dollar's worth. Nowadays, if they had a gas attendant and you said, give me a dollar's worth, they'd say it'd worth pulling the pump off, off of the handle to put a dollar's worth in. But, you know, in those days, you'd get four gallons of gas for a dollar. That's a long time ago, but, uh, but it's true that you could in those days. But I never went in and said, fill it up. I mean, I just never had that much money all at one time. But you know, when it says, my God will supply all, you know what it's saying? It's a God is going to fill up. <laughs> he's going to fill you up. He's, he's not going to just give you enough to get by. He's going to give you exceeding and abundantly above what you ever asked or thought. You see, In polytheism, the gods had to be bought off. They didn't have enough to satisfy themselves, and they looked to men to satisfy them. But our God is all-sufficient, Jehovah, and he is the supplier of every need. My God will fill you with all of the blessings, all of the good things that are ours in Christ Jesus. He's not only self-sufficient, but he's all-sufficient. Every need he will supply my God will supply all your need one God for every need you talk to the polytheists in God's day in Paul's day and say that there is one God and he supplies all the poly we never heard of a God like that they'd say well we've got this God for war we've got this God for peace we've got this God for sowing this God for bringing rain this God for bringing the harvest We got gods for every situation in life. But as believers, we have one God. And our one God is all sufficient for every need, all of our needs. My God will supply, and get it, my God will supply all of your necessities. That's what the word means. He will supply all your necessities. (laughs) You see, that's what we were doing down here. We were remembering that God saw the great need that nothing or no one else could ever meet. And God said, I'll do it. And my God has supplied all of our necessity, but He does it all. Everything that we need is found in Jesus Christ. Oh, that's why He says in His Word don't look for your greeds to be satisfied, but only for your needs. That's what God has promised. And in Colossians chapter 3 in verse 1, he says, If you have been raised to newness of life in Christ, seek those things which are above. Now, one time when I was here and I preached to you, you won't remember, but I remember. I preached to you from Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, we started in verse 3, and we read down from verse 3 through verse 4. 200 words there, all one sentence. Do you remember that? And what was that longest sentence in the Bible all about? God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And Paul starts to enumerate to the Ephesians what those spiritual blessings are. And in those 200 words, in Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 14, he lists every major doctrine in the New Testament. Because that's where our needs really are, in our fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And isn't it beautiful? (laughs) Uh, Though I know that uh, the placement of the books is not necessarily inspired, I do think that the Holy Spirit had a hand in putting the book of Ephesians just before the book of Philippians. So that the book of Ephesians, which shows the wealth that we have as children of God, then goes on to tell us in Philippians chapter 4 that this God who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ will meet all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things that are above and set your affection on those things that are there at, through the throne of Jesus Christ. And in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, he says, seek first. And that word first means the priority of your life must be on the spiritual, not the material. Not the temporal, but the eternal. Seek first the kingdom of God and these other things. God will take care of that. He knows that you need something to wear, a house to live in and food to eat. If you seek the things that God wants for you for eternity, God is going to see that what you need in time will be provided. (laughs) You heard about the little boy, didn't you? It was sitting there and he had this huge apple, so big that he had to hold it with both of his little hands. And a man came by and he said, too much apple for a little boy, huh? And the little boy said, no, too little boy for such a big apple. (laughs) And you see, that's the way it is with us. We never, we never could exhaust the riches of the supply that God has made for us in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. What a wonderful thing. To realize that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God will supply all of your need according to his riches in glory. Now, do you understand what's happened here? Why Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians? You see, Philippi used to be a very wealthy town. It was a place where there were gold mines, and people were mining this gold, and people were getting wealthier and wealthier. But the gold mines finally were exhausted. And not only that, but when people came to trust in Christ, they pulled out of the labor guilds, which oftentimes were attached to the false gods. And they no longer would become parts of the labor guilds that, were, that demanded that you pay tribute to the false gods. And so these people lost their jobs. And so many of the people in Philippi, frankly, they were living from hand to mouth. It was not always an easy experience. And out of their poverty... These people in Philippi heard about Christians over in Jerusalem that had some real needs because of a famine there. And they said, oh, let us help them. (laughs) And Paul was frankly embarrassed to take anything from these Philippians because it was out of their poverty that they were giving to supply the need of these people over in Jerusalem. And that's why Paul writes and he says, oh, it is not out of poverty that God is going to provide your needs. You can never exhaust the provision of God. My God will supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. I read this story. I don't know if it's true. You know, most of the stories that are good stories aren't true. And, uh, but I read it someplace. And uh, it was about this reporter that went over to India. And he met this fabulously wealthy man over there in India. And as they were talking together, this man who was... Literally worth his weight in gold, this man was fascinated by this reporter's ballpoint. he had never seen a ballpoint pen before, and he just was fascinated with this. And finally, the reporter said, "Well, would you like it?" And, and and the man, "Would you would you really give me that pen?" And the, "Well, sure, take it." And then the the Indian man said, "Well, what can I give you?" And the reporter said. Well, you don't have to give me anything, I don't, I don't need anything. He said, that's, that's fine, just, just take the pen. No, 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 he said, I really want to give you something too. And so the reporter said, well, I'll tell you, I, I do play golf and he said, it'd be nice to have a golf club. And so the, the Indian man said, I'll remember that. I'm coming to America and he said, I'll remember that when I come to America. A few months later, the reporter gets a telephone call and here it's this man from India and he said, uh, remember me, I'm in your country and you said that you'd like a golf club? He said, I want you to know i got two golf clubs for you. Both of them are 18-hole clubs, and one of them means they have an in-ground pool. He had bought the man golf clubs, whole, whole golf clubs, not just one little swinger. But you see, because he was so fabulously wealthy, he couldn't think that one little golf club was going to satisfy the need of that man. And dear friend, this doesn't even begin. Doesn't even begin to describe the wealth of our Father in heaven who will supply all of our need according to his riches in glory. But he will do it, and I'm sorry that they translated it, he will do it by Christ Jesus. It's really in Christ Jesus. My God will supply all your need according to his riches in glory in Christ, Jesus. Everything that you need, my friend, everything that I really need is found in Jesus Christ. And all that God waits is for us to ask for that which we really need because it's there for our asking. And God is true to his promise because he's Elohim. He has the power to make promises and fulfill the promises that he makes. And not because we barter and we do something for him and he's indebted to us, because God needs nothing from us. He's all-sufficient. He's self-sufficient, but he's all-sufficient. Sufficient for your need today, whatever it might be. But I want you to know that unless you have been to the cross, unless you've been to the cross, The greatest need in your life still waits to be met because the greatest need in your life is life. Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Not just life for time, but life for all eternity. You see, I'm come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. He that has the Son of God has life. Not pass into condemnation. He's passed already from death into life. But that life is eternal life. Eternal life does not mean quantity. Eternal life means quality. God alone has eternal life. And what God wants to do is he wants to share his life with you. Eternal life. He that has the Son of God. Do you have the Son of God? way you can have him is as you welcome him into your life and he stands at the door today of that person who has never responded and he knocks and he says if you'll let me come in we'll have fellowship together you with me and i with you behold i stand at the door and knock voice and open the door you can be sure i will come in i will sup with you and you will Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you not just for this written word, though it's wonderful. And we could not really have known you apart from this written word that you've given to us. But Lord, even more so, we thank you for the living word, your son, who came to take the burden, the penalty of our sin, in order that we might have the provision of eternal life. Oh, Father, today I pray that if there's one here who has never accepted that offer, that gift, that today you might call that one in very clear tones. And that one might turn from his sin to the all-sufficient Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if there's one who is drifting today, there was a time when that person trusted Christ and, 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 and rejoiced in the provision of Christ. But today, there are other things that have crept in and have sort of crowded Jesus Christ out of that place of priority that should be his I pray today, Lord, that you might draw that one close to your nail-pierced side. Oh, Lord God, I pray that there might be salvation decisions, and that there might be restoration decisions here today. And while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, what will you do with Jesus? Who stands today and says, I've come that you might have life, but more than that, abundant life. What you need today, as well as what you needed when you first came to the cross. Will you confess to the Lord? Maybe it's forgiveness. Maybe it's cleansing. Maybe it's victory over a sin in your life that has continued for a period of time and you've been unwilling to deal with it. But today, God says, Now's the time. You give it to me that I can give you something better. Oh, today, Will you listen to the Lord Jesus? Because all that he has is better than anything that you ever could use to replace his provision. God bless you as you rest in his word. Amen.